Hello, Pastor Patrick Hines here, just sitting out here <laughs> looking at this this morning. Um, it is a gloriously beautiful morning. And uh, just sitting out here on my, my little swing that my precious wife uh, got me. And we, uh, we chopped these trees down, see this one here and this one here, and put this beam over it and hooked this a chair up to it. So I, I just love this, this little thing. I always wanted to have a, like a porch swing. But even though this isn't a porch, uh, this is even better because uh, you can turn the swing around. But if it if it's facing that way, the sun's like frying my face. So I turned it around to face my yard. <clears throat> but anyway, just out here with my Bible this morning and um, reading. And I, I wanted to share just a passage I read this morning. And uh, it's just it's such an encouraging thing. First Thessalonians 1, 8, 9 and 10. So First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8, 9 and 10. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Okay, so just think about that. This congregation in Thessalonica that had been born in blood uh, in Acts chapter 17. It's a brutal beginning. Uh, they, they were persecuted pretty pretty rough. <clears throat> and Paul and, uh, uh, was not able to stay there very long because of that. But the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Saying these people um, were evangelistic and they were spreading the gospel and God was blessing them. And it says here, for they themselves and the people in Macedonia and Achaia who talked about the, the church in Thessalonica, they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Think about that. Before we were Christians, before we came to know Christ and were saved, what we served was dead. The, the sins and the lusts and the, the things that we lived for, they weren't the living and true God. They were dead. They were stone, wood, things made in creation. Things that, you know, actually aren't bad inherently, but when they take the place of God, they become idols. And so... Turning from idolatry to serve the living and true God does not mean turning necessarily from a, a piece of silver or a piece of wood that's, that's shaped into you know, an animal or a God of some kind that you bow to. It's anything that you lived for before you came to know the living and true God. And that's the, the distinction. Think of question five of the Shorter Catechism. Are there more gods than one? Answer, there is but one only, the living and true God. And so what we served before that were dead and false deities. Whatever it was that we were attached to in our hearts, whatever it was that we lived for, we turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The people in Thessalonica, when they heard the, the gospel, although there was rioting going on because of all the opposition from the Jews that had followed them there and were causing all this trouble and they were dragging people out of their houses, the people that heard the gospel that were part of God's elect people, they were born again and came to Christ and they were standing fast. They were standing fast. I think Thessalonica is commended by Paul in these two letters, these short letters that he wrote them. I think that they were so pure as a church because it was so brutal. I mean, you, you had to be a real Christian to be a member of the church in Thessalonica. You didn't have people that, yeah, they show up to church once a month or twice a month if if you're lucky it was no if you're not a true christian you didn't go to church in thessalonica <laughs> it was too dangerous 
So their witness to the world was powerful. Okay, their faith went out to the whole world. The word of the Lord sounded forth from them, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. They themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And then verse 10 is just glorious. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So what are we all doing? Are you waiting for his son from heaven? You know, that's the, the next big event. We're not waiting for the rapture. There's no such doctrine. It's a false teaching. There's no rapture of the church. It's not taught in scripture anywhere. First Thessalonians 4 does not teach that idea. What the Christian church historically has waited for is not the rapture or a seven-year tribulation or a thousand-year whatever. What the church has been waiting for from the beginning is the second coming. What's the next great event? The second coming. What are going to be the signals that the second coming is shortly on the horizon? The incoming of the Jewish people and the bringing in of the fullness of the Gentiles. We're going to see revival on a widespread scale. Look at Romans chapter 11. Read slowly, carefully through Romans chapter 11, especially verse 15 and following. <clears throat> the Jewish people. I pray for that in my pastoral prayers. I pray that God would, would um, save the Jewish people and call in the Jewish people. And then the fullness of the Gentiles, that they would come in. But we're waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. See, when Jesus comes back, when the second coming happens, what a day of rejoicing that will be for the people of God uh, who have gone on to glory already because they will come with him. <clears throat> and then the dead in Christ will rise first and we'll meet the Lord together in the air. That's not the rapture. That's the, the end of all things. That's the resurrection of the dead. That's the final judgment. That's the coming of salvation and God's wrath to those who do not know God and those who do, who do not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. That will be a, a terrible day. That's the day of the wrath of God. But for the people of God who are hidden in Christ, we are rescued, delivered from the wrath to come. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ, in real history, died on the cross and redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. That's why I'm not afraid of the wrath of God. I have no reason to be afraid of the wrath of God. Romans 5, 8, and 9, think about this. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. That's Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. And then here, this passage. What are we doing now? We wait for a son from heaven. We try to evangelize people. We try to be faithful in our marriages, faithful in discipling our covenant children. We try to be faithful in our vocations and our stewardship of our time, our talents, our treasure, our money, our houses. Um, with the people that God has asked us to love. We work hard at, at whatever our job is. We occupy and we glorify the Lord and we have integrity and we shun evil like Job did and we pursue righteousness and holiness and we pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But we're waiting for his son from heaven. I cannot wait <laughs> for Jesus to come back and put an end to the suffering, put an end to all the wickedness to balance the scales, to take vengeance on the enemies of the Lord, <clears throat> the enemies who have opposed me, 
who have trashed me and attacked me um, for standing for the gospel. Uh, although I would never put what, what I've been through in the same category as what these people went through. To take vengeance for the martyrs, take vengeance for the people who have been mistreated by God's enemies because they stood for righteousness and truth. But we're waiting for God's son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That's such an awesome thing. You know, my uh, grandmother right now is 100 years old and she's in hospice care and she's a believer. And, uh, you know, my mother, it's my mom's mom. And my mom's 81. And, um, you know, my, my uh, grandma, excuse me, my mom's 80 and grandma's 100. Uh, and my kid's great grandma. But death is not going to have the last word there. Death doesn't have the last word. Jesus was raised from the dead. Death does have the last word over unbelievers, though. When they die, everything they have stays here, and everything they hoped in is gone. But not the Christian. We have a treasure somewhere that no one can touch it, where moths cannot eat it, thieves cannot break in and steal it. We wait for a son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The process of dying is something I'm not looking forward to. I know that I don't know how that's going to happen. I have no idea how I'm going to die or what the circumstances will be. I'm not looking forward to that part. But death itself, I'm not afraid of that. Jesus died for me. Jesus has conquered death. He's destroyed death. And when he comes back, death's going to be wiped out of this entire universe. Because even the whole creation itself will be redeemed. And death will not be part of the new heavens and the new earth. So I just wanted to share that with you. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8, 9, and 10. And the last three verses of the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Glorious stuff, so encouraging. Um, but thank you all for watching or listening. I'm going to go back to admiring this. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful creation.